Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of underdog today i have an incredible guest here with me brian how are you my friend i am great pamela it's such a joy to be with you it's such an honor to have you i know our first conversation i was like blown away i was like oh my god i love brian he is so dynamic so awesome i just can't wait to get into his story so here we are (laughs) so i always start out with the most loaded question known to man which is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today my friend Well, I love that question. And again, it's a joy to be here with you and your community. We're both native Bostonians. So that's a special bond as well. I think truly what has inspired me to be on the journey where I'm at now is owning my story and sharing my story of who I am and bringing my gifts together to help inspire others to live their life aligned with their professional goals and their personal to make the greatest impact in the world. I love that. And so question, what did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? What was your dream? You know, when I was a kid, what I wanted to be was a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher. I loved, loved, loved all of my elementary school teachers. And to this day, I can still name every single one of them. I was inspired by my teachers. I felt truly loved as a student. I felt inspired. I used to play school. I had an aunt who was a teacher. So every August she used to invite me to go set up her classroom. I loved it. And that's what I wanted to be. But then as I made a decision that was a little bit different later on. Tell us more. Tell us more. (laughs) You're going to tease it out. You're going to tease it out. (laughs) So at the same time that I wanted to be a teacher growing up, which I I really do, and I still identify in so many ways that I am a teacher. I remember I grew up on the North Shore of Boston. So you're a fellow Bostonian. So it's lovely. You know where that is. And I was raised Catholic. And I remember it was a Sunday. We went to church and we're seated in the church. And we were there. Our family was always early. We're like one of those families that was always always 10 minutes early. And so there we are. And as a kid, I was a little bored. I remember looking at the stained glass windows are on my left and the sun was coming through the windows. And every single one of the windows had like a, a saint on it, you know, a particular saint, St. Francis, different saints that we all had heard. And I remember just looking at them as a kid and just being inspired. And I remember I tapped my mother on the shoulder and I said, is there a saint school you can go to? And she looked at me and she's like, what? And I said, is there a school that you can go to to study to become a saint? Because I'd been learning about these men and women that just did incredible things. And I was like, I want to be like that. And I think my mother at that moment, all she said was, well, no, it's how you live your life. But there are some people that study to be priests later or go on to become nuns and different things. And so there's special schools for that. And that was the decision that I made after going to university that I actually went to the seminary, which I guess was kind of, you know, I would have called my saint school and to study to become a priest. That was a decision that I made when I was uh, 20, 21. I turned 22 my first year in the seminary. Yeah. Wow. So you just decided you're like, I want to go to a seminary. I want to become a priest. And that's, that was the way. 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it doesn't just happen overnight, right? Yeah, I mean, right, right, right. You know what I mean? It was definitely. I think one of the things is, yeah, as a kid growing up and everything, like, yeah, I had a great childhood. It was great, and you know, loved my school and all the things I did and friends and all that. And but I think there was always this sense inside of being drawn to something beyond yourself, a sense of deeper purpose, a sense of caring. I was always that kid that when someone else was being made fun of, you always kind of had that empathy for them. You wanted to help. You always saw that something was there. So it was part of who I was, but I went to a Catholic university and that definitely fostered that sense. And that's when people were like, you know, you you'd be really good. Have you ever thought about this? And, and so I went on a retreat my senior year in undergrad. And that's when I made the decision to take the next step, which was to apply. And I said, if I get accepted, well, I guess that's a sign that I'm supposed to go. And that's what I did. And that was my approach as I went to seminary. I'm going to take one year at a time and test this. And every year I got feedback and things kept going in a positive way and was finally ordained in 1999. I love it. What a journey. I mean, it's just awesome that you follow that, but you did it in such a methodical way. You know, it's like, let's take this one step at a time. All the big life decisions, like people get so overwhelmed by them. I'm like, just take it one step at a time. If you overwhelm yourself with an entire future, you'll get overwhelmed. But if you just tell yourself, take it bit by bit, it always works. Absolutely. And I think the thing was, it, it helped, right? That every year you would get evaluations and, and different things. And it was always very affirming. And I was enjoying, you know, every year, you don't just study every year, you have an assignment as well. So like mm. my first year, I worked at the women's prison. Another year, I did hospice work. Another year, they sent me to South America to learn Spanish and work in a mission. So all those assignments help you be challenged, but also help you make the decision like, wow, this is amazing. This is how I'm growing. It's it's a relationship. It's just like a relationship with someone else that you kind of assess and you're like, yeah, okay. Like I'm ready to take it to the next level. And what does that mean? I love that. So what was your journey after you got ordained? So it's 1999. What's next in, in Brian's world? Yeah, 1999. And I was sent to an amazing parish west of Boston called St. Mary's in Holliston which is like the perfect New England little town with stone walls and just total New England and <laughs> big families, you know, large family, like 2,700 families. And it was amazing. Like I was in a young parish, so I did tons of weddings. As I always say, I, was, I felt like a, a Vegas chaplain. Like I was doing weddings constantly <laughs> on the weekends which obviously meant I was doing a lot of baptisms as well, because that was the next thing that would happen after all the <laughs> weddings, people would come back. And I loved it and going to the hospitals and different things. And then there was a moment, it was a young priest too, and that's when the whole sexual abuse scandal erupted in the United States. Boston was kind of the epicenter of that. Yeah. And there was a new cardinal that came to town because the other cardinal resigned and he was brought in to bring healing, brought in to bring hope and restitution it was that had to be done and you know it was a hard time it was a hard time in the in the parish you know for people is you know really grappling with faith and this new cardinal really was inspirational because he was just he wanted to bring hope and i remember hearing him speak when he first came and i was like wow what an amazing man i want to help him fast forward a few months later i got a phone call on a thursday night to come in for a meeting the next day i went in 
And he had selected me to be his new private secretary, which means like chief of staff, which is really a very, very important role because you travel with him, you live with him. When he goes to the Vatican, I was at the Vatican. When he was at certain meetings, I was there. I was master of ceremonies. And it was an incredible growth experience. It was an incredible opportunity to support him, to meet people I never would have had the privilege to meet and to be of service. But at the same time, there was a new evolution happening in me. And I started to realize that I knew at that moment I was being groomed for more leadership in the church. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't want that. At the same time, I wasn't missing the life in the parish as much. I really realized in my heart that I wanted to be free to love another person. And I wanted to bring my gifts in a new way out to the world. So I freely made the decision to take my time again, and to make sure I was really thinking it through. I took about nine months and worked with someone professionally, privately, just to kind of talk things out and look where things were at, and freely made the decision that I wanted to resign. And so I did, all in good terms with the Cardinal and so many others, and went with blessings to New York City and began an entirely new life as an executive in Manhattan. Oh my goodness, Brian, you're such a rock star. I mean, oh, there's so many things I love about your story. Like, first off, I find it extremely badass that you were like chief of staff and you were like, you know, you were like the boss. You went, you know, to the Vatican and experienced all these incredible things because at that point you were still very young. Like, I'm sure there was people in the church that priests and all of that probably waited years for an opportunity like that and it never came, but it came to you at such a young age, which is so remarkable and incredible. So I commend you for that. I mean, that was a very special position. And then to basically step up to that, own up to that, but then stay true to yourself, I think is the most admirable thing. Well, thank you. Ever, thank you. ever. And it's it takes an extreme amount of courage, especially if you're in that much of a senior leadership where you had a job that I'm sure was paying very well. You had a lot of privileges, I'm sure, and just had life laid out. Right. And, you know, some people too, in this day and age, you know, when they're in a job or they're in an environment that's really comfortable for them, like their lifestyle is good. It's all set. It's very hard to leave that. So I would say the only thing that I would disagree with, because I was still a priest, I didn't take the vow of poverty. So I wasn't making a huge, huge salary. Oh, but in terms of exposure, in terms of leadership, yes. I mean, like the night before John Paul II's funeral, we were in Rome and we were invited to the U.S. ambassador's home to meet with the current U.S. president and all the former U.S. presidents at this private reception. There I am at like 30 years old, like chatting with Bill Clinton and, you know, all these major people that it was incredible and it was a real privilege a real privilege. I always knew my place, but it was a great exposure. And I remember when I was, you know, really seriously thinking of leaving, I held my cards close because I, I really believe for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about making a huge conscious change, whether that's about a relationship or a career change, make sure you speak when you're ready to speak and share with the right people because there's nothing worse when you're sharing with someone and they start asking you questions and you're not ready to prepare because all it does is put you in a spiral of self-doubt. So I really held my cards closed, but I did speak to this one individual and 
And I was quite surprised. He, he was a former priest. He was a priest. He's now a former priest as well, which is interesting. He actually said to me, he said, Brian, why are you leaving? He said, it's going to be so hard to step away. Like, here you are, you're young, you're exposed to all of this. You know, there's more coming for you, you know, create a world that's going to work for you. And I knew in my heart, I just knew in the depth of my heart, I had to be true to who I was. I wanted to live that. And I knew people were looking at me and respected me. And I wanted them to know who I was. And I didn't want to hide behind a shroud of the disguise. And so I freely, freely made that decision and did the inner work. Because when you make a decision, as anyone who's listening, you're going to get people that support and you might get some people that challenge. And only when you own what's in your heart, can you really stand in strength and with peace. Amen. Literally. Amen. Bring I mean, it on. You're bring it on. on. <laughs> it's, it's just so admirable, you know, because again, like you were in a very comfortable position and could have been brought on for more, but yet you chose to stay true to who you were. And I, I just adore that. That's like I said, extreme amount of courage. And it's just, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. And so for that transition, what was that like for you? Like, can you work through the process a little bit? Because I know that there must be someone listening that is either going through this or know somebody who is, and could use that advice, like to make such a huge transition in life to stay true to who they are. What was that process like for you? And what tips would you give? Yeah. So I always begin, I speak about this all the time and and it's, it's really the core of kind of the navigation system of the life of Brian. I'm happy to share it here. Yes. Really. It comes with one question and ask yourself the question, what do I desire? And it can be as simple as, you know, when you're trying to desire something about, is it, is this the right relationship I desire, the right job or different things? Because when you ask that question, there will be something that will start to bubble inwardly. Mm -hmm. And that's truth. And truth will always seek to grab our attention until we listen. It doesn't mean you have to know exactly the plan and how you're going to do it. But all you need to do in that moment is to listen it while there's something there. So I listened and I struggled quietly, inwardly to myself, telling myself, no, this is just in my mind. I can do this. This is this, all the, all the conversations. And then I spoke to a couple people and kind of teased it out a little bit. But finally, I got to a moment that I knew if I really was serious about this, I needed to work with someone professionally. I worked with, I wanted someone who wasn't Catholic. I worked with a good Jewish psychologist who was absolutely one of the greatest gifts of my life at that time. I wanted someone neutral, someone that wasn't connected. And it really was an opportunity to unpack for anyone who's ever done therapy or gone for coaching, like the clients I work with, You might go in with one intention, but it's like an onion. Other things start to peel back. And that's what gave me the clarity and gave me healing and gave me the insight that, yes, this was the decision to go forward. So I recommend for anyone who's listening, who's struggling, maybe having those tango dances in your mind of just, oh, where am I going? And I don't know. And this and that. Just pause and give yourself the space. What do I desire? And listen feel it and just think what's the next best step do i need to speak to someone like myself or someone who's a therapist 
because that space brings the light to help us look at things in a new way. I love that. So in making these transitions, how do you bring it up to loved ones when you're making a transition like this, right? What do you say? What do you do? You know, and I always ask, it's just, everyone has such a different experience with this. So it's always incredible to see the different insights, whether, you know, cause I, I mean, I could tell you like when I switched careers and I was like, mama, I'm not, I'm not working for anybody. When I graduate college, I was like, I'm out mom freaked out. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have said it that bluntly, <laughs> you know, so like, you know, so when it comes to these major life transitions, how did you pitch it to those around you? Yeah. So, you know, every family dynamic is unique, right? And right. so I can only speak for myself. I certainly knew from my life, I knew what I was going to work best was dropping some hints along the way that mm, I wasn't really happy mm. or things were bothering just at a high level and, you know, and kind of just sharing a little bit of certain things. And so when it came time to really, really share the news that I, I wanted to leave and, and for the reasons why, I made sure to pick the people that I knew first that would be supportive and, and to speak with them first because it's not easy and you want someone who's going to be there, you know, for you. And I selected my dad's you know, first. And I remember, you know, he, you know, just looked at me and he said, I may not understand everything, but I respect the hell out of you for the decision you've made. And let's talk about what you're thinking about next. That was a gift, but there were definitely one or two others, family and a couple friends that were not, that were quite, quite challenging. And only when you do that inner work that you that no matter what they say is going to keep you peaceful inside, knowing it's the right decision. And so whatever they're projecting onto you, which is always something on their side, whether it's their hurt or their guilt or whatever it is, that way you stay solid. And that's the number one thing I tell people is don't say anything until you've done that, because if you haven't, you're going to cave in. And you're mm -hmm. gonna doubt your decision. I love that. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and yeah. the inner work that you're that you're talking about too. Can you shed some tips on on that? Like the kind of work that you did to get to the next level? Just this is so important. Sorry to hone in on this. I'm like, this is so important because it helps break people down a little bit so that, that way they're not so fearful of making these big changes, you know? Totally, totally. And so, you know, apparently you're speaking, you're speaking my language. I mean, it's the stuff I do now with leaders as well and, and yeah. to break it down. So the first thing is just to reiterate the sense of desire. I always go back to that. Like it's, I can't reiterate that enough. So that's a starting place. Number two, some of that inner work is also owning, owning what you're feeling and owning what you would like next. And, and I think sometimes people overlook that, but it really is a sense of owning, wow, I, you know, I'm a lawyer, right? And I'm making a ton of money and I'm in this law firm, but I'm not happy. And owning that and giving that voice. And I think it's really important part is if you want to evolve forwards and make a change, you have to own what's not working or how you're feeling and to give yourself that space. And, and I think that's a very, very important piece. I think number three, the other thing I would say is another really beautiful aspect is being intentional about when you wanna make that change. And you know, I think it's important to, to say, you know, wow, 
I would like to make a change by June, such and such a date. And it doesn't mean that it's all going to happen by that date, but it gives you something to work towards. And it signals to the universe, it signals to yourself that you're moving towards something. And oftentimes, unless we put it down, you know, in our calendar or we make a conscious effort, June rolls into July, July becomes October. Next thing you know, it's jingle bells and you're into the next year. So be conscious about selecting a time that is critical and, but be open that it may shift. It may shift, but I think that helps move things forward. I love that. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you so much. So after you made this decision and you made the leap and the jump, what happened? What, what, what was next in, in the beautiful journey? Well, the hardest part everyone always asked me, was it hard? It must've been so hard. It must've been so hard. I'm like, you know, the hardest part was just waiting, like waiting to leave. Like it really, yeah. once I left, the day I drove off the property of the cathedral and went to New York, it, that wasn't, yeah, it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't. I was like, oh, it was such a, a freedom. The worst part was in that in-between time, you know, when you're still mm-hmm. there working and you're still trying to figure out and find the next job and make the transition. So once I got through that, it's like, you end a relationship with someone, but you're still living together and the other person hasn't <laughs> moved out yet. You know, for someone who's, it's kind of like that. You know, you're like, you're trying to be patient, but you're trying to look for the new place. It's just that awkward time. So when I went to New York City, I was very fortunate. I did land a job before I left the clergy. It was a great opportunity. I became a director with the American Cancer Society wow. and on the corporate side. And I had no experience in philanthropy except that I had worked at kind of a high level with, you know, individuals. And I kind of knew that they wanted someone that could cultivate relationships to bring in revenue. And so in nine months later, I got promoted to be uh, the director on the new business unit in Manhattan, working with like the Fortune 100 companies and helping them, you know, bring in money through, you know, major capital markets for their programming And then I went on to become executive director at NYU Medical and uh, loved my life in Manhattan. I really did. Like, I have to say, it's where I wanted to be. It fit me. It just brought me energy. I built a great network. I was able to just really own who I was as Brian and own that I could be free as a gay man, that I could bring my gifts that I still felt God, the divine guiding me. It was a beautiful moment. And I originally met a Canadian. That was the reason I moved to Toronto. And I continued as an executive here and phenomenal opportunities, then became a partner in executive recruitment until I started my own venture a couple of years ago. I love that, Brian. Oh my God. And And I can see you light up when you're talking about like, that was your freedom moment. You went there, you enjoyed it so much. It just felt like you, which is incredible. It's just incredible. And so now you launched your business, right? So walk me through that process because then that's getting into entrepreneurship, going from being a priest to being an entrepreneur, that must be two polar different. And then the executive world, right? So it's like you literally entered into a whole new realm. So what was that like? You know, what were some of the challenges and and how did that start up? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great question because people always say, oh, you've done so much in such a short time. I'm like, yeah, like sometimes I look back and I'm like, holy smokes, like there's been a lot that's happened, you know, <laughs> since I left in 2008. And so for me, it was interesting. I've always kind of had this, 
entrepreneurial spirit. I've always been a leader. You know, I remember even as a child, going back to that elementary school, I remember getting an award for leadership and different things. It's always been part of who I am and leading teams. What I found is, you know, I wanted to create something that aligned all of who I was to be of service to others that I felt was missing. So I, I founded a company called Evolution Evolution, and I named it twice on purpose. The first evolution is a nod to our natural evolution as human beings, how a pandemic affects every single human being, how we all evolve in new ways through it. But the second evolution is where I spend my time, helping individuals and teams to be fully aligned with their greatest values and strengths to make the greatest impact in the world. And so I spend a lot of time with professional leaders, C-suites, other professional leaders at different stages that are either looking to grow in their roles, maybe they're having a challenge, maybe they're a first-time CEO and they're getting triggered on different things that they've never had to deal with before, or individuals that are maybe thinking like, wow, I want to make a change. I'm making a ton of money and I'm doing this because... I have a massive bonus that comes at the end of the year, but I hate my work. I've always wanted to go out on my own and helping people navigate that. And I do also some a special recruitment as well, a new way of doing recruitments and evolving teams and leaders and a lot of public speaking to really inspire, to help people own their story. As I always say, when you own what's in your heart, you stand in your truth, and then you're free to do what you want to do. And the human being is designed to evolve in freedom. And I feel my world and my work is to help people to evolve, not just that person, but the generations that will follow from them. I love that, Brian. Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating and exciting. And I can tell, I mean, that's like, that's your life purpose. That's who you are. It's what you're designed to do. And it's just, it's remarkable to see the journey throughout the process and to have like the life that you always dream of, right? To have the freedom, to have your business, to have it be on your terms. Yeah, it's great. I mean, there's challenges. Like as an entrepreneur, like I didn't know anything. It's like, I didn't know anything when I became a fundraiser, right? Like I got hired and all of a sudden I started raising millions. I never, no one ever taught me how to do it. I just kind of did it. You know what I mean? I was all about relationships and listening. And I definitely had to learn things in the business and definitely recruitment and different things. And then I think being an entrepreneur, the hardest for anyone who's an entrepreneur or considering it, there's three things that I would bring out. First, always do something that aligns with your skills. Like do something that is naturally, comes very natural for you and brings you joy. That's probably number one. Number two, there are some challenges as you start out as an entrepreneur. Like, you know, I, I was so used, even as a priest, you know, I got paid on a regular basis. Like you just direct deposit is a gift. Boom, boom, boom. You never had to worry. It's always there. Da, da, da. And now it's up and down. Like, how do you regulate that? How do you develop other streams of income? What does that mean? How do you balance that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, these three contracts that they said they were going to do it, they're not coming in. So what does that mean? So that's been a growth area, yeah. you know, the, like learning the financial app. It's a lot different when you're doing it your own than when you're managing someone else's money in a corporation, you know what I mean? So that's been a growth area. And then also giving myself the permission to keep evolving, that it's okay not to have to readjust. Like my website is all being updated because it's out of date, because I want to shift things 
in another area. And that's okay. And I think that's the beauty of if you're really owning who you are in your company, you're going to keep shifting and being of service. And I think that's been hard because it, it's like, oh, really? I thought this was all set. But it's really, that's the gift of it because you're creating impact in a new way. I love that. I love that, Brian. And, and question for you, like, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? I would go back to that little boy sitting in the church looking at the stained glass windows. And I would say to that little boy who's inspired by these great lives and the sense of inwardness of being connected to something beyond, just because that's the tradition of the faith you've grown up in, it doesn't mean that's the only way you can live out a spiritual life. Mm-hmm. That you can take that and evolve with it in a very different way. And so that's the one thing I would say to that young man who is just questioning, like, wow, I'm inspired by this, but I don't have to stay in that. It's, it's much bigger than that. Love that, Brian. I love that. And so in your world, like, what are you up to in the next like six to 12 months? What's going on with evolution, evolution? Lots of evolving. No. So I would say there's a couple things. So first of all, there is an evolution of, you know, really wanting to develop some new programs as well. Not really new programs, but I, I have this recruitment called Evolution Recruitment. It's a platform that's done about five or six, you know, different type of recruitments. And I redeveloped the model that I think is really profound and collaborative and cost savings. And that's something I really want to engage with companies and organizations to help them look at that. That's something really great. I definitely feel too, the next next piece is I'm all about timing. It's really working on the book because it's something I've started and not, and I really want to be intentional about that going into the new year, just creating that space and really doing it because it's something I enjoy. It's something that I know that people have really have encouraged about, and it's something I want to do more because I love public speaking. I love connecting. And I really think the book is going to be another venue to be able to do that. I love that. Can we get like a little snippet of the book? Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of the, yeah, I mean, I'm early stages too and working on it. It definitely is through the framework of story and how I engage is definitely through telling stories. And so there will be a couple themes that will be told through different stories and it's really about, you know, owning your truth and, you know, and owning that from your heart and living that out. And so that's just at the tip of the iceberg there. I love that so much, Brian. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, where can everybody find you and your awesomeness? So I welcome really for anyone who's made it to the end of this conversation. If you made it to the end, there's a reason. There's a reason why this conversation is stirred in your heart and maybe you're considering making a decision of a change. Maybe it might not be a huge life change, but maybe there's something just, oh, I really want to get more clarity on this. Please reach out. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Send me a message on LinkedIn and you will hear back from me. I guarantee you that usually within one day. Also, you can send me a message through my website or directly at brian at evolutionevolution.com. 
And uh, welcome to hear from you there. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you so much for your insight, your story, just your beautiful energy. Thank you so much for that and for inspiring us today. I really appreciate you. Well, same here. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you for all that you're doing too, you know, to create impact in the world. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is overtime, working like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs.